it's tough to fight the Fed. I mean, the Federal Reserve is pretty hell bent on stopping commercial real estate or putting downward pressure on commercial real estate. We still haven't seen it all play out. I think there's going to be some opportunity. Let's get ready to scale. guys, welcome to yet another episode. Joining me today is Nick Simpson. Nick is the founder and CEO of Mintus Capital Partners, which is focused on multifamily value add, as well as ground up development. He's also the host of the Mintus Capital Partners podcast. Prior to doing this, Nick was the owner of Simpson Building Enterprises for eight years and also previously had another company, uh, the Davis Simpsons Holdings. He has overseen the acquisition of over $85 million worth of assets under management. He earned a degree in business management from Salisbury University, Purdue School of Business. And one of the very interesting fun facts I found out about you, Nick, is that he started his entrepreneurial career with a lawn care business at the age of 12 called Blades of Grass Lawn Service, which I think is super cute. And he actually ran that business for 10 years until he successfully sold it in order to fund his college. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a while since I've heard that name uh, for the landscaping company. But those are those are long days and they, they humble you well. And, you know, help it helped a lot. Get, you know, good footing when, when getting started early on. Hey, I think it was a genius name, especially for a 12-year-old to come up with. Uh, was that on your own or was that with the help of the family? Oh, probably with the family, but <laughs> it, that's a long time ago now. So, For sure, but I really respect the humble roots. Uh, and I think it's just an inspiring story that has obviously, uh, this was the sprout of your career and it's obviously, you know, really done well for you all these years later. So just very cool and very fun. Um, so, you know, we just talked a lot about kind of your background and, and the various companies that you've had. Do you want to just briefly kind of share your real estate journey as you've gone through this? Sure. I mean, we came out of the recession uh, buying up single family houses and uh, renting them out to students uh, for student housing. And that was actually a, a pretty controversial thing to do at the time. Most people weren't you know, really looking at doing those type of uh, those type of properties at the time, but it really it was an amazing time to be buying real estate. We were buying things really at a major discount, doing heavy value add to each property. And eventually, uh, you know, one led to two and two and led to 10, 10 led to 20. And we were doing a lot of those single family. Uh, we were just building a lot of the single family portfolio, we started to build into commercial and some light multifamily. But then, you know, kind of the management of those things really uh, became more burdensome. Uh, because they were kind of spread over a, a, a wider area and there was a, a harder, you know, it's just harder for us to manage uh, each of those properties the way that we should have. So we ended up selling out of all of those and have since moved to larger scale ground up development and multifamily properties. Great story. Very interesting. Now, I'm curious, before we kind of dig into the business aspects of it, just um, kind of from a general perspective, being that you've had multiple companies, you know, that you've uh, worked on or worked, you know, worked on and, and owned throughout the years, what would you say is, you know, one of the most powerful or surprising lessons that you learned about being a business owner? You know, I don't know if it's surprising. I think a lot of people know that partnerships is, you know, and who you work with is extremely important uh, and making sure that you're 
you're kind of really aligned with how the growth of the company will go. The problem is when you start, most people don't really know the questions to ask um, and they don't know really the proper structures that are fair. And when you're not making a ton of money, people are hypersensitive to making sure that they're getting their, you know, their percentages or maybe they're willing to uh, delay on fees or, you know, they're not getting paid their, their proper amount. Well, eventually that kind of becomes habit and then that can compound over a long period of time into really an unhealthy structure. And I think that most people just really need to, uh, if I, I would not just go to a local attorney when starting a, a new company. I would talk to business owners who have been in the space for a long time, uh, who might have had partners in the past, ask how they structure their companies, and then go to an attorney who's specifically working in that field to structure your company. So that way you're really able to make sure that the incentives are aligned, uh, the compensation is correct, and that way you can really set yourself up to scale over a long period of time. Excellent advice. Doing it right from the start. Uh, very smart. Very good lesson. Thanks for sharing that. Um, now, you did touch on it, so let's dig into it because I think this will be really interesting to our listeners. Uh, so you have been in the multifamily space, which our listeners are are pretty very well aware of, I would say, because we talk about it a lot. But we don't always talk a lot about student housing. So can you share with us what are some of the the major differences between multifamily and student housing? And then what are some of the similarities? So obviously you're still leasing a home to somebody. I mean, it's by and large the same type of business, but you're on a little bit different timeline and the properties are you know, kind of designed and built in a little bit different way. Typically a purpose-built student housing project is going to have either a one-to-one bedroom to bathroom ratio. So you might have like a four bedroom, four bathroom apartment, or you might have a four bedroom, two bathroom apartment where people are sharing, but it's really designed for students who are kind of coming uh, to a market for a temporary amount of time and then leaving. We also are typically including all of their electric, their internet, uh, their water, they're usually fully furnished units, units as well. And you're kind of giving them a turnkey solution. But with that, typically students are going to pay more per square foot because you're providing them kind of a service a little bit more close to a hotel, if you will, uh, than just a regular empty unit that you would find in multifamily. Uh, and the other side of it is you're you're constantly leasing units uh, and, and kind of more on like an annual basis. And in most markets, it's kind of moved towards a 12 month, uh, like a 12 month lease. So people are leasing, let's say, from July to July or August to August. And they've moved away from that 10-month rental. And if it is a 10-month rental, then they're typically going to be paying a lot more per month uh, to cover, you know, kind of that that delta in there. Uh, But overall, I think the market has really rebounded really well from COVID. uh, And I think there was a lot of question mark of whether or not student housing was going to be uh, kind of of seen in a good light on the other side. But it went really well. And I think it's it's definitely one of the, the darling... Uh, asset types, especially for like agency debt right now. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's going to have a long runway. Very interesting. And, um, you know, you touched on something that I was thinking about while you were sharing this about, you know, a 10 month, uh, a, a, you know, a 10 month lease versus a 12 month lease. And um, I'm sure that because you're charging a higher premium, that's one of the ways that you probably account for it in your underwriting, you know, knowing and anticipating those gaps, if you will, in vacancy, uh, is there anything else that you do interesting, you know, in how you're structuring your underwriting for addressing 
what I think would probably be more, uh, you know, vacancy issues potentially with student housing? Yeah. So when it comes to student housing, you're probably not going to want to do a new deal that's, you know, unless the market's really, really strong and like has a, a huge shortage of, of housing that is on a 10 month deal, you're probably going to want to shoot for a 12 month more consistent basis. But the best part about student housing is the fact that you're almost always getting a parent guarantee or like a guarantor on top of the student or somebody who has the financial capability to pay if the student doesn't. So you're really getting two people and there's that like pressure on the student to make sure that they're paying and delinquencies in student housing are typically a lot lower than in multifamily. And then they're also typically leaving the market after school. So the worst case scenario is they're not paying you and they leave and go back home. Uh, but they're not looking to stay there for however long uh, it takes to get them evicted. Uh, so you're typically seeing a little bit more uh, of a robust payment. And you can also work with uh, like student aid. If some of them need student aid, you can work to get that that money up front. And that way they're kind of, uh, you know, paying ahead of time, if, if you will. Very interesting. And I know that uh, prior to us actually hitting record, we were talking about the fact that oftentimes you can find student housing in what's considered opportunity zones. And so I'm sure that there's some additional incentives for you, um, you know, coming in as a sponsor um, in that regard. Can you expand on that a little bit further? What are some of those benefits? Sure. I mean, so the, uh, one of our larger projects right now is called the Ross, and it's located in downtown Salisbury, Maryland. It's a 14-story 101 unit, 354 bed student housing project that has opportunities on benefits. So investors were able to delay their tax payments until 2026. And they're also able to grow their capital throughout the 10 year hold that we have for the property completely tax free. And that's a huge bump in a return. It, a lot of people early on were thinking it's probably three, maybe three and a half, four percent. Uh, increase on your overall return just by saving those tax dollars. And I think that a lot of people kind of looked past uh, opportunity zones in, in the, in the, I guess, in the previous years. Uh, and I think that there was, I think there was a bigger opportunity for people to, to use the program. I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it comes back around for like a renewal uh, at some point in the future. But I think what people were worried about was investing in tertiary markets and, uh, you know, maybe not having capital in, you know, in kind of the major metropolitan areas. And I, I think that there's still a lot of yield to be found in those, in those markets. It's just, you have to structure it with a, with a deal that uh, is addressing a real supply demand issue. You know, the fundamentals don't go away. You still need to have a good piece of property and a good location and, you know, kind of set yourself up for success. But I think a lot of people were looking for, those opportunity zone, they were looking to place money and they were saying, well, do I want to go into an opportunity zone or do I want to go into a major uh, market? And I think there's a, there's a case for both. Very interesting. And I'm curious when it comes to the, the process for the actual acquisition um, inside of an opportunity zone, how is that different from a traditional multifamily acquisition? Just a little bit more paperwork uh, on the accounting side and making sure that you're in compliance on an annual basis. Uh, you know, it's not it's not extremely burdensome. The The investor doesn't really have to do all that much uh, different than a regular multifamily investment. They just simply invest in the property and they get a, a tax return that indicates that it's in an opportunity zone fund. They have to maintain that money in the fund for the, the full investment time. Uh, and then they don't like let's say they were to sell. Uh, a large amount of securities uh, in the stock market or something, and they had a large tax payment, they would delay that tax payment until 2026. 
and that they had made that investment early on in the programs. I think it was before 2021. I, I have to go back and check the dates on that. Uh, they were also getting a discount on those taxes of up 10%. So it was it was definitely beneficial to investors who, who did this early on. But I think the biggest part of this is you're actually able to take capital and grow it tax-free over 10 years. No 1031 needed on the other side of this. It's just completely taxed. You know, it's just completely cash out and you're done. And it's just completely tax-free. Wow. Interesting. So the taxes are not deferred. They're actually waived. So the taxes on your original gain, you have to pay those in 2026. But the capital that you've invested into the new asset, uh, say you've invested $100,000 into the new asset, that can grow for 10 years tax-free. And then you take out whatever that is. Maybe it's $200,000, maybe it's $300,000 on the other side, all tax-free. Wow, that is uh, definitely attractive uh, for sure. Um, just so that we're giving uh, listeners kind of the full perspective, right? What is the flip side of the coin? What are the risks that are associated with opportunity zones, or how do some of those deals go bad? Well, I think that you know, going back to the the debate that I was talking about earlier of placing it, the money was meant for really markets that are are developing and kind of more tertiary. They're they're kind of on. Uh, maybe the second tier of where people would would consider uh, investing. So maybe you're not looking at your Charlotte, you know, you're not going to Charlotte, Raleigh, uh, Tampa, Atlanta, uh, Houston, and Austin, but you're going to some of those submarkets around those areas and hopefully finding uh, quality pockets of growth and kind of a path of progress. So it really comes down to making sure that you're picking who you're working with correctly and picking a, a project that's well positioned to still do well in a smaller market. Very interesting. All right. And before I kind of jump over to our next subject, um, what would you, what advice would you give to listeners if they are evaluating, um, you know, investments in an opportunity zone as a passive investor? Yeah, I think you, it really just comes down to making sure that you're finding the right property. Uh, you want to make sure that you're, if you're going to be doing your own fund, that you're ready to do the paperwork and, you know, make sure that you're staying compliant on an annual basis. It's probably a lot easier to invest into a fund that's already doing that and has, uh, you know, the means to make sure that the correct accountants are hired to, to get that across the finish line, because you don't want to be in year seven or eight, have a mess up with the paperwork. And then all of a sudden that, that investment is no longer considered uh, tax-free when you've been counting on that for the, you know, the duration. So, yeah, I think overall, I, I wouldn't look past an opportunity to an investment. I think a lot of people just need to be aware that they're out there uh, and maybe add the the diversity into their uh, into their portfolio. So, Nick, I know that you have uh, come up with some really interesting um, alternative kind of out of the box approaches at helping to address some of the impact and the challenges that we're feeling from high interest rates. Uh, so, I definitely want to know all about that. But first, a word from our sponsor. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. 
So, um, you know, kind of con continuing on along the way that you were doing some things uh, in just kind of a different way, um, you know, before we hit record again, we were talking about, of course, inflation and interest rates and a lot of the challenges that have been created, um, you know, around that. So you have gotten very creative in identifying some alternative options to kind of counterbalance the impact uh, that, that, you know, high interest rates are having uh, for investors. So do you want to tell us what that is? Sure. So I think our development background really showed us the power of working with local and state governments who want to see progress, especially with housing or economic development. And they're willing to work with you if you bring them solutions. A lot of times they're they're used to hearing problems and they're not necessarily the experts in the field. But if you go to local politicians and work with them and build a good rapport and be trustworthy and do what you say you're going to do, you can build programs that can waive uh, property taxes over a, you know, a, a period of time. Like we did that with the Ross project. So we phase in our property taxes over a 20 year period uh, with the city taxes and a 10 year period uh, with the county taxes. That was a huge savings to the project, millions and millions of dollars that goes to the bottom line and helps uh, increase the returns. That's a creative way of, of looking at getting a project across the finish line. Uh, we've applied for state grants and fortunately have received millions of dollars from uh, state grants to build a hotel that we're looking at uh, getting in the ground in the middle of next year. Uh, and then also looking at uh, asking local politicians if they'll waive um, like building permit fees or application fees. If they're really serious about getting housing started, and then the government has a, a way of taking some of those costs out of the equation for us so that we're able to move forward here in these more difficult times. With that said, it's tough to fight the Fed. I mean, the Federal Reserve is pretty hell-bent on stopping commercial real estate or putting downward pressure on commercial real estate. We still haven't seen it all play out. I think there's going to be some opportunity for people who are, uh, you know, kind of in a good position with capital to take over distressed projects, especially in the office space in the second half of this year. I mean, that still has not played out. There's tremendous vacancies in office buildings across the country. A lot of that debt is coming due over the next few years, if not... Uh, this year. And we're, we're still going to see a lot of these players kind of walk away and give it back to the bank because the, the fundamentals have shifted because of COVID. So getting creative and, and talking with the, the local representatives who want to see progress, they don't want to just say, oh, the Fed has the rates too high. Let's just sit back and wait and do nothing. You know, they want to see new projects move forward. They want to see their downtowns come back to life and Main Street come back to life, especially here in Salisbury, Maryland. We've seen uh, a tremendous uh, you know, desire to get Main Street to, you know, like like many of them across the country have uh, kind of come back to uh, come back to the roots and of the city and become the heartbeat uh, that it once was. And then, you know, I think there's there's also like a need for workforce housing in some other areas. And we've we've talked to local governments about how we can work with them to uh, potentially build land or build on some of their land so that maybe you're you're acquiring the land at a discount. All of these things are available if you just present real plans. Again, do what you say you're going to do, and operate a you know a, a, a profitable a profitable business that works hand in hand uh, with the area. Well, Nick, that is some excellent advice. I love the collaborative approach. It definitely is creative, and it sounds like it's a huge win for the local community, for your investors, for yourself. Um, very cool. Wonderful ideas. Uh, great suggestions. I hope you guys are listening and uh, can find ways to actually implement that uh, for your portfolios too. Uh, very cool. 
Um, now, I'm curious, too, because you have a lot of passion for Salisbury. Is there any um, political inklings in your future? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I have no interest in politics. I, I, I truly respect the folks who are willing to step onto that into that arena. I mean, it, you're really just taking slings and arrows every day, even at the local levels. Um, but I think our, our, you know, our, our fit in, in the market is to deliver uh, housing that's affordable, it's quality. Uh, we're doing a large value add in, in almost every instance. We're really making the properties better, or we're coming in and doing a ground up development that really helps, uh, you know, kind of do good urban design and move the area forward. So I think that's where we're going to, we're going to stay, stay focused. Stay your lane. <laughs> yeah, we'll stay in our lane and, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Well, awesome. All right, great. Well, Nick, we've arrived to what we call the lightning round questions, which are five questions that I ask all of the guests on the show. So are you ready? Absolutely. All right. So first of all, what do you actually do for fun? What's a hobby? So I've been enjoying some of these like weekend trips since COVID. Um, uh, pretty soon we're headed down to Myrtle Beach uh, just for a little quick getaway with some friends. Um, but yeah, I, I, just weekend little getaways. Uh, you know, I don't like to take off too much time. I think that's great. That's good balance. It's important to have that. Yeah, for sure. Um, now for a fun fact, what is something that most people don't know about you? I think... I think a lot of people don't realize, um, I don't know, I, th I think a lot of people don't realize just how much fun I guess I'm having with like real estate development and, and kind of like the architectural side of things. I, I suppose people probably see us as like more of a real estate, like, um, you know, kind of a management company and, and on the asset management. But I, I really do kind of like the, the construction aspect. Um, I guess once you get the bug, it, it's hard to get it out. Um, and, you know, I know that there is more risk with it. Uh, but it, it makes going to work a lot more fun. Yeah, it's important to lead with your passion. So I think that's great. Um, all right. What about as far as books? What are you currently reading or what would you just highly recommend investors need to include in their library? Yeah, so I just uh, read, um, I, I was just finishing up DLP Capitals, um, building an elite organization uh, Don does an amazing job pulling together a lot of books and and making it, you know, a lot of the business books that we've all read, he kind of makes it very uh, clear and concise to, to you know, on, on a path on how to grow companies. Uh, so that's certainly one that I would recommend. And then uh, Don't Split the Difference or, ne or Never Split the Difference. Uh, that was another book that we just finished up. And uh, I'm always reading new, new books and, uh, you know, definitely would recommend those two uh, as far as real estate investors go. And then I think my favorite book of all time is certainly Sam Zell's uh, Am I Being Too Subtle? I think, you know, kind of as a titan of the industry, uh, he's he's really just kind of a straight shooter and he's done some of the largest deals in real estate's history. Uh, and I, I just like the way that he wrote his book. Well, some great suggestions. Thank you very much. Um, now, you know, uh, we always say that this is about more than just money, of course. You know, this is about our families. It's about our quality of life. It's about our goals. It's about legacies. Uh, there's a lot more, you know, that goes into this than just simply making money. So what would your advice be uh, for those that are really focused on trying to build an extraordinary life? I think it goes back to the the passion part that you said, and I don't want to just sound generic on that, but, you know, it... There, there is minutiae with everything. I mean, it's not like I come to work every day and like, oh, I can't wait to get into that paperwork or get that little 
you know, piece done. That, but that comes with the territory of everything that we have in life. You, you got to get through some of that unfun stuff so you can get back to, you know, pouring over blueprints in my case or, uh, you know, dreaming up new projects and how, uh, you know, a rooftop bar is going to be designed and you know, that, those type of things. Um, it, it allows you to kind of get back to it. Um, but again, I think some people um, might not even enjoy it. I think some people might not enjoy going to work on a day-to-day basis, but yeah, if you don't have, I guess if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, I think that's okay as long as you have that passion or that release and that progress in, in another aspect of your life, whether it be, um, I don't know, bodybuilding or, uh, you know, some other sport or, you know, some kind of competition that, that keeps you engaged because I think progress uh, equals happiness. That's a very good attitude. I like that. And yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't always necessarily have to be passion for what you're doing, but sometimes it's enough that it's the why you're doing it that really exactly. matters. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, awesome. Now, last but not least, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Certainly, they can find us on our website at mentiscapitalpartners.com. And my email uh, is nick at mentiscp.com. Be happy to connect with anybody uh, who's interested in real estate development or, of course, multifamily or student housing investments. So appreciate you having me and uh, certainly wishing you guys well at Blue Lake. And you guys are taking on uh, some awesome new projects and look forward to seeing that new fund of yours uh, wrapped up and successful very soon. Well, thank you. We definitely appreciate it. And we are excited. We do have a lot of really great things going on. Uh, But, you know, we'll uh, save that for another show probably. So for those of you listening today, thank you so much for joining in. We really appreciate your time. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And until then, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.